Yeah, any song? Can I say it's very good to be with you? Uh, I have been here once before, uh, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago maybe, visiting in the area. My uh, son used to be at Bethany City Church and uh, was visiting, and you're about the only church in town that has an evening service. So that's how I found you. So uh, praise the Lord for that. So good to be back uh, with you. We're going to be looking into Matthew chapter 6, so if you want to turn there please, Matthew 6, and uh, we're going to be uh, reading verses 1 through to uh, 18, 1 through to 18. Be careful, Jesus says, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is, in secret, what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, 
so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, we have, oh yes, thank you, on screen, uh, the uh, headings we'll be working through. I've entitled it this evening, uh, Doing Religious Stuff Well. Doing Religious Stuff Well. There, there are big challenges, aren't there? Living as kingdom people, living as Jesus' people, people who, who adore the kingly reign of, of Jesus. There are big challenges living in this world for him. Challenges uh, in, in relationships. Challenges when we can get angry with people, when we can say things that are perhaps cruel and unkind that we regret later. Challenges in how to set things right in relationships when uh, things have gone wrong. Challenges in having and maintaining good, healthy marriages. Challenges in not lusting for somebody. Uh, challenges when we want to get even, when people have been unkind to us and we just want to retaliate. Challenges with dealing with people who, who perhaps hate us, treat us unkindly and make life hard for us. Well, they're the kind of things that Jesus has been talking about in the previous chapter, particularly the the latter half, verse 21 onwards. And it wasn't because he could just kind of fancied giving a random talk on those kind of issues, uh, but because he had started this message, this message that lasts for three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, he'd been telling these people who would come to follow him, who had become his disciples, who'd repented uh, because of his message, uh, that, that told them the kingdom of heaven has come near, they become his followers, and he told them, you are blessed people. We know them as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And eight times he tells them they are uh, blessed people. He then went on to tell them that they, as blessed people, should live as salt and light in the world, uh, bringing that preservative quality to the world and that light-giving quality to a dark uh, world. And it could understandably be in his disciples' minds, if he's calling us to be salt and light into the, in this world, how are we to be that? Well, then he went on to talk about uh, the fact that we should be like him, not ignoring the law that was given, but actually seeking to live righteously. In fact, he, he, he gave them a really challenging um, comment in, in verse 20 of uh, Matthew 5. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And anybody who knew the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have been stunned by that because these were the most pernickety righteous people you could get. These were so careful in how they lived, that they even tithed, not just their, their cash, uh, but their mint from the garden, their, their spices. They gave a tenth of those. 
they, they were so careful about doing what was righteous. And so understandably it would be in the disciples' mind, how can we do that? Or more likely there would be a fit of depression thinking we can't possibly do that. It would just look impossible uh, to them. But actually Jesus begins to um, show actually how they could be more righteous than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and that actually it perhaps wasn't going to be as difficult as it sounded because the problem with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was that they were very pernickety about their righteousness but only in selective areas. There were glaring areas where they were where they, they, they really were not consistent about how they lived for God. They tended to focus on the externals and what was visible. So Jesus went on to talk about murder, verse 21 onwards. Uh, and, and the Pharisees were concerned with just the thought of, have I actually murdered somebody? If I haven't done that, I can do anything. And so Jesus says, no, no, the kind of righteousness I want from you affects your heart. It affects your words. It affects, you know, do, do, do you call somebody, somebody a, a dumb head because they've annoyed you? Jesus said, that, that brings God's condemnation as well. So they focused on, on the externals. They, they tended to um, look for ways out. So he talks about uh, bo both adultery and, and divorce. And on the matter of adultery, the Pharisees thought, well, if I haven't actually committed adultery, that's fine. But Jesus said, you know, if you've looked with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And one level that takes it to a very challenging deep level but also says you know what God is looking for he just wants consistency he doesn't want your actions to be one thing but your heart to be raging in the opposite direction he, he tackles the issue of divorce and the approach of many of the Pharisees were was this the the Old Testament mentioned a certificate of divorce so if if you give a certificate of divorce you can just get rid of your wife she said, no, no. Unless there is something that brutally attacks the very heart, the foundation of your marriage, then you remain married. You remain married. And then he tackles the issue of oaths. They, uh, the, the Pharisees had things where, where they said, well, if the name of God is mentioned, you have to keep your oath. And so they thought, well, if we just swear by the temple... Or Jerusalem it'll be okay we can do what we like then we can make a promise but we don't have to keep it a bit like kids who cross their fingers behind their back when they make a promise and that's their get out clause and this was the kind of casuistry this was the playing that the Pharisees did with the law they just said look if we keep it outwardly fine but then beyond that we'll look for ways out look for uh, get out clauses we'll find ways where we don't have to keep the law in that deeper level and she says that's not the kind of thing I'm looking for and so his idea of having a, a, a righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees is on the one hand easier than it looked because it wasn't about being pernickety like they tended to be about tithing your mint but it was about the heart 
That is very challenging, but it makes total sense. Why would God only be concerned about your actions, not about your heart? All he wants is a, is a righteousness which, which shows some integrity where you're seeking to be following Jesus thoroughly. Not just in your actions, but with your words and with your mind as well. Jesus wants genuine followers who are doing good from the heart, who are being generous and kind-hearted um, towards people. Now, as we come into chapter 6, Jesus moves away from kind of what we might think of as common moral issues that, 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 that people of the world would quite often be concerned about as well, to the religious stuff. And that's why I've called it this evening, doing religious stuff well. The kind of things uh, which might not figure in the minds of non-Christian or irreligious people. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about prayer and about fasting, three key foundational things within Judaism in Jesus' day and within many religions uh, in, in most ages. And, and for us as Christians, giving to the needy, prayer and fasting are important issues. And so Jesus tackles those here, still saying, you know, I want a righteousness which surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, which is a righteousness not just of outward action, but of the heart, genuine heart righteousness. So our first point, if we can move on to that, is we do religious stuff well when we do it, or when you do it, for your father, no one else. Because that's the introduction in verse 1. In your NIV, you have a, a heading at verse 1, which is giving to the needy. Well, really slip that down to verse 2. Because there's an intro in verse 1, then he gets to the giving to the needy in verse 2. This introduction covers the three sections we're going to be looking at of giving, prayer, and fasting. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do you will have no reward from your father. So here's his basic rule of thumb covering all the religious stuff that we do uh, as Christians. He gets right to the heart of it by saying, what matters is your heart. It's as simple as that. It's your motive that matters. And if you do it to be seen by others, there's the problem. That is most definitely not what your heavenly Father wants. Do you do your religious stuff for your reputation? For what others might think of you? How they might admire you, respect you, see you as a really spiritual, wise person, a fervent person, a really keen Christian? Maybe you do it because you think by doing it well, You'll be honoured within the church at some more, shall we say, official level. You'll be asked to lead worship. You'll be asked to lead in prayer. You might even be um, encouraged to become a deacon or an elder or teach in some aspect of church life. Lead a home group, something uh, of that sort. 
Jesus steps in and says, that is not what your father wants. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Your religious stuff is to be done for God, your Father, your Heavenly Father, and exclusively for Him, not to be seen by others. Now, they may see it, but that is by and by. That's not what you're doing it for. You're doing it for God and God alone. You'll have no reward from your Father in heaven if you do it to be seen by others. What Jesus wants, what God wants, is healthy, genuine, from the heart righteousness. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? There was no command that ordered them to sell uh, their, their land and give that money to the work of the gospel. They did it. They gave a portion of it, keeping the rest for themselves, but saying they'd given it all. They didn't need to do any of that. It was fine if they only gave a portion, but they lied about it. Why? To be seen. They're both dead by the end of the day. This is serious stuff, isn't it? It's not what your heavenly Father wants. Now, don't take that, by the way, as what God always does, but just occasionally, he said, you know what, I'm going to show you just how much I dislike this. And these two, husband and wife, in it together, in it to be seen by others, were dead by the end of the day. It's horrible, you see, when we have ulterior motives. We need to do our religious stuff because we, we love God. We do it for Him. We do it for Him because he, he, He's our priority. Do you do your religious stuff for Him and for Him alone? So can I ask you just to take a moment to check in? How does this sit with you? We just think about this first area that we should do our religious stuff for our Father and for no one else. Does that begin to feel a little uncomfortable? Why are you here this evening? Are you here because you want to be? Because you want to worship God? Because you want to seek Him? Because you want to hear His Word? Or because by being here that'll look good? By not being here, that might not look bad. Are there ulterior motives going on? That's not what your Heavenly Father wants. He wants you to do it for Him and for Him alone. And it's very interesting that Jesus here uses that exact same word, righteousness, in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them as he did back in chapter 5 and verse 20 I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven in the middle he's talked about all this kind of moral righteousness but but it's still the same stuff it's still about righteousness this is still the kind of stuff God calls us to to live rightly with him 
and we're not to do it to look good we're to do it for him and isn't it interesting and more than interesting it's important that Jesus drops an incentive here into this whole thing which which since the philosopher Kant I don't know whether you know much about philosophy I don't by the way but I do pick up the odd bit but since Kant this kind of incentive has been viewed very dimly Kant came forward with this idea that true virtue is done without any thought of reward if there's any thought of any reward that has dirtied virtue now though Jesus puts it in the negative the hint is there will be a reward if we do this rightly but in verse 1, he says, if you do it to be seen by others, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. But the, the flip side of the coin is saying, look, do you know what? There will be a reward in heaven if you uh, do this for him. You see, this isn't to be the main reason for doing it. We're doing it because we love God. But God is generous. And Jesus drops in this incentive here that he generously, graciously responds to his people who are living for him. The ultimate reward uh, Jesus spoke of was that well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the ultimate reward that he gives us. But here there's an indication of it too, that if we really practice our righteousness for our Father, for our Father alone, then there will be reward because God is such a generous and giving God. So there's the, there's the, the general principle that Jesus sets out in verse 1. Our religious stuff should be done for our Father and for no one else. Now then... He gives us these three examples that we've already mentioned. And we're just going to work through those. So, uh, secondly, when you give. When you give, verses 2 to 4. Let's reread those verses. When, so, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with, a trum, with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done, may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There's the positive statement of, of reward. Now the picture Jesus paints here is tragic. Uh, a picture of people giving and making a big do about it. He, he talks about people blowing their trumpets and actually historians aren't quite sure whether that actually happened because there's no other record of that actually happening or whether he was being a bit jovial but pointing out actually this is the kind of way people do it very very publicly. They, they want to be seen, they want to be heard. In churches it used to be that you know a plate would be passed around. Uh, people made sure there were plenty of coins because they could be heard dropped in. So the, the more noise when somebody gave, the better. That would look good. Well, that would sound good, wouldn't it? It would be something similar to, to that kind of thing. 
But th this kind of thing is common. Pe people frequently give to be seen, to be noticed, to be honoured. Uh, I've recently done a master's at Leeds Beckett University, and there you'll find the Leslie Silver Building. And uh, in the Leslie Silver Building, there is the Sheila Silver Library. Why? Well, because Leslie Silver was a hugely successful self-made entrepreneur who was very generous. And I don't know whether he said, I'll give you this money as long as I get my name on that or not. I'm not judging him that way. But he's certainly been seen for it. And his, his name and his wife's name is recorded there because of the huge generosity. It happens in the Christian world too, you'll find. Christian magazines, mission, missionary magazines where names get printed uh, of who's donated what. Major donors get literally wined and dined by significant people, even have full-time staff to look after their significant donors. Isn't that a bit strange? Does that fit with Jesus' thoughts of giving? We shouldn't give to be honored by others. Jesus says if you do, if you give to be honored by others, you've had all your reward you're going to get. Yeah, okay, you might get wined and dined, but there's nothing more to come. We should give. We should give generously. We should give regularly. But not to be seen by others. We should keep it to ourselves. Jesus takes it again to a, probably a jovial extreme to say you don't let your left hand is my left, yes, know what your right hand is doing. Of course, it's an impossibility. We shouldn't view that with a wooden literalism. Some Christians have. To the point where in a, in a marriage, husband and wife haven't known what the other is giving because they're fearful of getting honor in that way. Some people have re re refused to use the gift aid system because then uh, minimum of the treasurer needs to know how much somebody is giving to get the tax back. Oh, well, I'll be breaking what Jesus says. No, Jesus is not you know, giving an answer to every little detailed question we might have around giving, but he's just setting out the general principle. Don't be boastful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be very public about your giving. Now, there may be some sensible measures whereby certain people will have to know uh, what you give. But you're not doing it for that reason. We should give. We should give because we love the Lord. We should give generously. We should give heartily. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will. He will reward you. He's that generous. Uh, and then the next area we move to is when you pray. Again, Jesus hits at the ostentatious praying of some verse 5 and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites for when they love to pray standing in the for, for, sorry for they pray sorry get this right they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others truly I tell you they have received their reward in full we pray ostentatiously do we pray, I don't know, with extra volume, with extra words, with extra 
nice words that, that could be impressive to others. That's not why we should pray. We're talking to our Heavenly Father. That's all that matters. We just talk to Him. Now again, we need to avoid a wooden literalism that would mean, therefore, well, if you took this to, to the extreme, we'd never have a prayer meeting, would we? Because people would know we're praying. Um, or you might think, oh, can't, can't pray in a restaurant, can't give thanks for a, a meal in a cafe. I do remember one time, many years ago, a young person, we were, we were in a cafe during a, uh, a youth camp that we were on, and one dear brother did get up in a cafe, and let's say everybody heard it. <laughs> I'm not sure that was necessary. However, we can give thanks to our Heavenly Father, can't we, when other people can see? We, we don't do it to be seen. We still want to have, thank our Heavenly Father for the good things he's given to us. And if they happen to see, so be it. If they don't see, so be it. doesn't matter. That's, that's not why we're praying. It's the heart that matters. It always is. The thought we need to consider is, why are we doing this? Are we doing it in order to be seen by others? Or is our focus on our Father? That we are talking to Him. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Another thing Jesus is concerned about, uh, and again it's a way to be rather ostentatious, is, is babbling, going on and on and on and on. And uh, there used to be prayer meetings plagued with people who didn't know when to say amen. They just went on and on and on. And to be honest, I don't personally see much of that. don't know whether you have those people in your church. I've just uh, given them a nudge if you do. But anyway, you know, we, we, we shouldn't think that we will be heard for our many words. That's what they thought. The pagans thought that. Verse 7 says, to be honest, Jewish people thought that and Christian people think that. I, I, I don't want to be controversial for the sake of it, but I, I do struggle. You, you've probably heard about the 24-7 prayer movement. There's probably much blessing to it. But I do struggle with the idea that we think God will be somehow more impressed with us praying 24-7. As though it matters that we cover every hour of every day. I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I fear that it's, it's getting close to this. You know, if we keep on babbling and fill the whole 24 hours, seven days a week with prayer, it doesn't matter. We just need to talk to God. When the goal is the length of the prayer time we have. Now, I must pray for 10 minutes. Yeah, I must pray for anything less. And it's just go on and on and on tell you, if husbands and wives communicate like that, that would be a poor marriage, wouldn't it? We're in deep, close relationship to our Heavenly Father. One that doesn't work by the clock. When the goal is the length of our prayer meeting, we, we must pray for this. There's something wrong. That's not what impresses our Heavenly Father. So Jesus models a prayer for them. He says, instead of this babbling... Here's how you should pray. 
our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Wow. <laughs> so much covered in so few words. What a prayer. Now, Jesus isn't again to be woodenly interpreted as though that's all we can pray, or that's how many words we need to pray and no more. But it's an incredible model of concise prayer, isn't it? Not going on and on and on. For the sake of it, there's, there's brevity, simplicity and directness. Now, there may be times when genuinely you, you, you seek God and you pray for a long time. Well, praise him. That's great if that is genuine. But if the aim is to pray for mm, X amount, something wrong. You just want to pray. You just want to talk to your Heavenly Father. You want to sit down and say, Lord, we need to talk. I've got heartaches. I've got needs. I've got sins to be forgiven. That there's, there's the world that needs to know you. And, and I want to talk to you about that. That's, that's prayer. That's prayer as far as Jesus is concerned. Prayer which comes from a genuine heart. Prayer which isn't seeking to fill a certain time uh, on the clock. Do we see that in our own heart? And Jesus gives a little excursion at the end on one particular point that we just need to comment on. Because in the middle of that prayer there is forgive us our debts and we know as uh, people in our Bibles here this evening we know that the forgiveness of our sins is crucial. But in it Jesus threw in forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And there's, there's an assumption there. I've done it. Of course, there's a challenge in that assumption. And he comes back to it after the end of the prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins hugely challenging that we need to wipe the slate clean in our relationships with others as God has wiped the slate clean in our relationship with him and again we need to avoid a wooden literalism that would take us down in a spiral of paranoia thinking have I forgiven everybody for everything they've ever done? Have I forgiven them absolutely, completely? How can we ever know that? And can I ever forgive as completely as God forgives? We must avoid that, that woodenness. Jesus is here speaking of a, of a general attitude, a genuine general attitude that says, look, I know I have been forgiven much and I will move towards others in my relationship with them with, with, a, with a, a desire to forgive any sin, any wrong. Now, if you've not got any problem here, then praise the Lord, because it must mean you've not really been sinned against much. Um, 
many of us here will be thinking, yeah, there have been people, there have been things that have been really hard. Hard to forgive. We need to forgive. But we do not need to get the magnifying glass out. As though we can reach the point where we have definitely, absolutely, 100% forgiven. Because who can know that but God? And yet we come with that, that absolute commitment. We forgive. We, we forgive what people have done against us. So we've seen this worked out that we should do our righteousness for our heavenly father and for no one else we've seen that worked out when you give we've seen it worked out when you pray let's thirdly see it when you fast fasting of course needs a bit more definition because it's not as common to us but fasting is a depriving of ourselves for food often used when you look through the old testament as a mark of repentance where people saw that they had sinned and it, it was a sense of grief. We have sinned against the Lord. We, we, are, in, we are in anguish about this. Therefore, we, we cannot, we will not eat. So there was a, a repentant element, also a, a very serious element and an earnest element of coming to God with particular seriousness to seek him for his forgiveness, for his blessing, for his help or something along those lines now again jesus indicates that the the pharisees and the teachers of the law often did this for show so we find in verse 16 when you fast do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces you know oh they're so hungry to show others they are fasting truly i tell you they have received their reward in full so we mustn't put on an outward show of the agony of our fasting of how long we've been fasting and how much we've been fasting really weird that there are many a famous Christian leader who sends out news prayer letters usually wanting money because they are on a 40 day fast but you know they want to tell everybody isn't it has that fit with with Jesus what he's saying here. Instead, he says, verse uh, 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So just, just look normal. You know, Try and cover it up a bit, if anything, so that you, you, you don't look like you're in agony, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father. He says it again and again, doesn't he? Only to your Father who is unseen like it was with giving like it was with prayer so it is with fasting we do it quietly we do it in our relationship with God we don't do it to be seen by others we do it because it's part of our relationship with God and again a reward is promised at the end of verse 18 and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you Notice Jesus is repeating a pattern time and time again through these three. Don't do it to be seen. If you do, you've had your reward. If you, though, do it in a genuine right way because of your relationship with God, you will be rewarded. You will, you will be rewarded. Now, it's a good point at which to press pause. 
and notice another thing which has come up again and again in this little section. And it's the word when. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy. Verse 5. And when you pray. Verse 16. When you fast. Jesus isn't telling you to do it. He's assuming you do. He's assuming you do. And there was good reason. That was common amongst the Jews that they gave to the needy. They prayed and they, and they fasted. But clearly Jesus doesn't anticipate that his kingdom, life in his kingdom, religious stuff in his kingdom would be any different. Otherwise, why bother putting this right just as a change into a new Christian era? Why would the Holy Spirit bother putting any of this in if it didn't apply to us in, into Matthew's gospel? No, it, it's, it's for us as well. Do these whens apply to you? Jesus says to you, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. He assumes you do. So there's something wrong if you don't. Let's just go through these very briefly in order of the most likely to the least likely. I'm going to guess, it's a fairly educated guess, that most of us here pray. That will be the most common thing. Well, let's make sure that we keep it real, keep it genuine. You don't avoid babbling by just using written or wrote prayers. You can babble by not having any agenda. You just go on and on. Many, many independent or evangelical churches will have nothing to do with, with you know, kind of prayer book prayers, written prayers, because they think, well, that's just saying them again and again. That's just babbling. Well, there are many prayers from folk who lead at the front on a Sunday to those praying in a prayer meeting that are utterly predictable. They're as predictable as written prayers in a prayer book. And they just go on and on and on. So don't, don't think we automatically avoid babbling by avoiding written or wrote prayers. It's entirely possible we could still be babbling. We must avoid that. Do you do everything to a set time, in a set place, set duration? Well, is that how you'd handle any other relationship? I mean, it's good to have discipline for your prayer times, but does it always have to be the same? Do you think that just by having discipline you, you, you're having a good relationship with God? Or, or what about giving? So I'm thinking that maybe less give than pray. Hopefully that's not true, but it's just a possibility. There are some here who, who are praying people but really aren't giving much at all. And on the one hand, it seems so obvious that we should give because the work of the gospel is important, the Bible commands it, and yet there are many reasons we can find. And we think they're good reasons, but they're probably excuses. You know, a particular time of debt, a particular time of hardship, particularly expensive time this month, next month, next year, 
Oh, and the reasons just roll on why we don't give, or at least don't give as much as we think we ought to give. When you give, give as to the Lord. Determine before him what is right. What about fasting? Well, this is the one I'm thinking is the least common amongst us. And when you last fasted, I'm not going to answer that question for myself because it's not as good as it ought to be. When did you last fast? Personally, my conviction through studying the scriptures is that this is a bit different to prayer and and uh, giving, I think prayer and giving should be regular disciplines that we, that we do, that are part of life. Fasting, to me, from Scripture, seems to be a response to a situation, either an internal situation, an external situation. It's a response in repentance or grief or seeing a need and, and a real need to, to seek God in a particularly serious way. But if you, if I, Never fast. There's got to be something wrong, isn't there? We're not seeing that level of need that says, you know, I really need to give some special time to God and I, I need to underline it by denying myself food for a period of time. If you want to look in further to this, can I recommend the book A Hunger for God by John Piper? That'll help you take this further. Our time is up. Let's see. We need to do our religious stuff well. It needs to be a when, not an if, in our lives. It needs to be genuine, heartfelt in our relationship with God. It needs to be for Him, for no one else. And what a joy that there will be in this life and in the life to come rewards from our generous gracious God let's pray together our heavenly father we want to thank you that you've called us into relationship with yourself and these three areas we've talked about this evening are really important would you please help us to search our hearts with regard to the matters of giving to the needy prayer and fasting help us Lord to to view when we do them, how we do them, who we do them for, Lord, help us to simply do them for you. Because we love you. Because you love us. So help us, we do pray. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever.